On the show today, more space money, more space problems, one bard to rule them all, and brains in three, two, one. Alex, you arrived. Hello. Hi. It, it only I'm here now. It, in it, this magical new place. You're in the new. You're in the closeted area there. <laughs> but I'm not in. The, yeah. Closet. Yeah. You I'm have outside the closet. You are outside of the closet. Yes. Exactly. But all of your games and stuff are in the closet area. So. Well. Well, a few things. I haven't gotten that far. The three-headed giraffe is there. That's all that matters. Three-headed giraffe. The yeah. Hydra. The Jane Millers. And hey, the great thing is, is that uh, it took you less than ten years to get here, so that's good. Um, very happy. Almost ten years, though. Yeah, it was close. But uh, hey, you're back, and we're back. By the way, thank you for joining us on Total Pebble Knockdown. I am Nathan. And I am Alex from a new location. <laughs> yeah. An undisclosed one at that. So to start with, we're going to do a weekly muse. And, um, you know, Alex, it's been a little while since we talked about Star Citizen. Yeah, I try to not talk about it once a week if I can. But here we are. It's not necessarily something that we talk about all the time, because it's not one that we've really played, and I don't know if many people have. But for people who are not aware, Star Citizen is a project that got some crowdfunding way back in the day, back in 2012, I want to say. Uh, had a very successful $2 million Kickstarter, uh, but... Boy, that's such a small amount of money. And it's still kind of been in what I'd refer to as development hell since that point. Ten years and it's not a full release yet? It's technically not released. But we hit a milestone on September 20th. Ten million. More. Let's let's preempt this. They have been accruing funds since then as well, additionally, from people who want this game to come out. You might say ten million? A hundred million? No, my friends. We hit the landmark of half a billion dollars in crowdfunding from over four million backers, and this coming from the official Robert Space Industries website. It had a previous milestone of 400 million, and it was reached last November. So in under a year, we have added another $100 million to the development of a game that has been taking 10 years to release. I went to the IGN article originally, and they wanted to kind of give you a little bit of context for this, which is very helpful. The article reads, Despite this astonishing amount of money, however, the game is still in its alpha stage of development with no release date in sight. For context, The Witcher 3 Wild Hunt cost $81 million and took around five years to develop. Red Dead Redemption cost between 80 and $100 million and also took five years. So that kind of gives you an idea of even AAA releases and what they usually take up. 
for space. Yeah, lots of money and then lots of returns, hopefully. Yeah, and a fairly quick turnaround. Like, I can't say that five years is the standard anymore because, like, Cyberpunk took longer than that. Most games do. Starfield is going to. But still, the idea of 500 million in order to develop a game is kind of bananas by comparison. Yeah, and it doesn't help that I'm pretty sure you had to buy those ships with real money in that game? Well, there were, like, some pretty heavy-duty packages that cost a whole lot of money to get, like, specialty ships and stuff in the game. They have announced some stuff, since they have apparently some money. Um, Developer Cloud Imperium Games has uh, laid out some ambitious plans for the next five years, uh, not knowing if the actual game being released is going to be one of those ambitious plans. Doubtful. <laughs> no, but following the <laughs> recent announcement that it would drastically increase the UK studio capacity over the same time frame, uh, in November, uh, they had revealed plans to open a new studio in Manchester, which would also grow the company's current 400-person team to 1,000 by 2026. And then this, which I find kind of funny, the chief operating officer, Carl Jones, had said that by that time, he expected the company to be in development on multiple sequels to Squadron 42, the long-awaited and much-delayed single-player story adventure featuring Hollywood stars. I don't know if... I feel like... Yeah. (laughs) I feel like they shouldn't be paying Hollywood stars anything, and they should work on the the whole first game get the game done that yeah be a thought yeah because i don't know if anyone has really gotten a chance to play squadron 42 either because i'm sure anyone who backed it at a high enough level maybe yeah maybe or at least an alpha build like i have seen some people that have played early builds and some of the stuff that they've had like and and to their credit I will say that people seem to have a relatively positive opinion of what they played, but it's not the game. It's not the whole game. I feel like anyone who's spent the amount of money to get into an alpha build of Star Citizen Mm. is probably going to have positive things to say. If you're putting three or four figures down on a game... I would certainly hope you have something positive to say about it. <laughs> this, this is the, uh, what is that called? When you're, when you're too invested? You mean a, uh, a sunk lost... cost fallacy. Yeah, yeah, sunk cost fallacy. Like, yeah. I've already put a million dollars into this game, I'm gonna fucking enjoy it. <laughs> yeah, I better get something out of it to put this money in. That's where they're at right now. There is no release date for the actual game, and what I'm worried about... And what I've been thinking about since I've been looking at Star Citizen over the last few years is by the time it comes out, is anyone in the larger span of the gaming community going to care besides the actual investors? Because Um, think about the competition they have. Like, what is it going to do that you wouldn't get from an Elite Dangerous, a No Man's Sky, an Eve? By that point, Starfield is also going to be out there. I'm wondering what Star Citizen is going to do that is beyond what any of those games might offer, or at least one of those offerings that's already out. It lets you put your hard-earned... Wait, no, Eve does that. It lets you explore again... Oh, wait, the other games do that. (laughs) Yeah. I don't know. I know that it's supposed to be a a Mamorpaga. Gonna be an MMORPG. 
or I guess so the- are even and elite technically yeah and kind of no man's sky although it's not really kind of you don't have to right that it's supposed to be a very large one and again they said they talked about squadron 42 and that's going to be like a single player experience so if you want a single player experience you can get that from a lot of those games too i think this is one of the problems that you start to see with games that are in development for a really really long time is that by the time they come out there's competition that they didn't even know about at the start. That they yeah, that back in back in 2010, 2012, uh, uh, 2012. Sorry, yeah. I think Elite Dangerous had also just like passed its Kickstarter and was like in early development builds. Right, and it was four years away before we got No Man's Sky in the early builds where it was very very rough. <laughs> like yeah. But I don't know. I think that at the end of the day, No Man's Sky was a lot smarter about it. Even though they released a product that wasn't very good at the beginning, they've yeah. done it in public where people have gotten to play it and, and and look at it critically and say, oh, I don't like this or I don't like that. And they've been able to build it into something that, I, I mean, I don't know what Star Citizen is going to be able to do beyond that that's going to be unique. Um, it's ambitious, granted, but if ambition doesn't really come with some kind of actual end product, I don't really know if it's just uh, lost in the shuffle. At any rate, I, I thought it was very interesting. I've never seen a game end up with $500 million worth of funding might be the first. Who knows? It may be. be. Research. We don't do that here. <laughs> I don't know if it would make sense for most game companies to spend that kind of money. I think most game companies have investors. And the difference is investors have a lot of pull. Whereas I believe this wouldn't have investors so much as it has backers. It has crowdfunding. Yeah. It, it's specifically crowdfunding. Yeah. You know, investors will say, put out, or, you know, we're taking your funding away. And in this case, they just have to make their backers not mad, I guess. I don't know if... It's not like a rug pull. It's like, like here's here's a little bit more, but we just need a little bit more money, please. Yeah. And I do wonder, too, if Star Citizen is one of those cases of, like, mission creep. We've seen that with some of the other Kickstarter games that, that came out where they get really, really popular and then they get way more money than they planned on getting. And then they had this idea, well, we have to deliver much more of a product. So that's going to increase the length of time that it's going to take to develop this, even if it's nece- not necessarily a features that people wanted at the beginning. There was that, I, I can't remember what the name of the game was. Was it Mighty Number no. 9? It was that one that was supposed to be like Mega Man or like an homage to Mega Man that they did. I don't remember. Okay. But anyway, that <laughs> that was one that like... They showed the concept, the concept seemed good, people liked it, it got huge, they made way more than they planned on, and then it got stuck in development for a long time because they're like, oh my, we got all of this money, we have to produce more than what we said we were going to do, we have to build something much larger. And so no. they did. They kept developing and developing and developing. And then when the game eventually hits, like, well, we didn't really need any of this. It's like you could have just done what you said. If you give me the product you told me that you were going to give me when I backed yeah. it, I'm cool. You can stop. It's a guys. 
Do you not know how to do? Do you know? Do you not know profit analysis? <laughs> There's, I'm sure, a lot of small gaming companies where they're like, "Man, we got all of this money. We really should have done something with it." It's like, no, people paid you for the game that you were gonna give them, and they figured you you would get it to them in a time frame, and you could just do that. Just do that. Take the money, do what you said you were gonna do, and call it good. <laughs> yeah, I see that a lot. It's even yeah. in, in the um, like tabletop scene too, where oh, yeah. Kickstarters will go, "Hey, this is like this is our goals. These are what you need to pay." And then they'll have all these stretch goals, and it's like some of these stretch goals are cool, yes, mm-hmm. but I prefer. I personally would be more inclined to back something if they said, "Hey, here's what we're gonna produce." And there's like one or two stretch goals that are basically already made and won't take any more time or resources to really do. Right. But they'll be nice, you know, if we hit these goals, here's some extra content for you. But like, I'd be okay with if it went, hey, we don't have stretch goals. We're just going to actually like pay ourselves, you know. Right, right. Um, Which I've seen a couple do, but it's like, guys, don't, you just made 500 million dollars yeah pay pay your people make the game that you originally said you're gonna make yeah and then after it comes out you can add to it right and at the end of the day uh i I would say just learn learn a lesson from the other games that have come before and you might as well just put out something even if it's not quite finished with them with how long people have been waiting so that they can play something so that you can, you know, refine it, but do it in public. From the uh, Eurogamer article, as for when the first Squadron 42 game would launch, Jones was less clear. CIG boss Chris Roberts has relocated to the UK for the time being to aid in development. Uh, but Jones said it could be one or two more years. At minimum. <laughs> yes. It's a lot of money to be putting into a game. Um, and frankly, I, I, I'm kind of like, maybe just release it in whatever form it's at, if it's playable. And, um, if people like it, great. If you need to improve upon it, do it while people are playing it, figure it out. Um, and if you have money at the end, use it for whatever else you're doing later, just to get something out into public. But anyway, kind of, uh, an interesting update on a game that I will probably never play anyway, but hey, you know. Yeah, <laughs> probably won't play it either. But who knows? Maybe it'll come out in 2030, and uh, 20... maybe we'll need a RTX 8080 by then. That would be amazing, yeah. With with the luck that they're having, it will end up on Game Pass, and you'll have just oh, no. millions of people just get it. As just be glad. <laughs> just be glad they didn't decide to host it on Stadia. Uh, yeah... <laughs> Hey, you know what? If Google had made a plan with them, it would have been way over 500 million funding right now. That's so true. That is true. Anyways. <laughs> we can get out of here. Uh, if you have any thoughts about Star Citizen, please let us know. Uh, or in- if you've played it, or somehow backed it with $500 million of your own money. Yeah, actually, if, if you have played any builds of this thing and can tell me anything about it, I need I need to know. I have seen very little in terms of footage or play, gameplay on this thing. I uh, want to know I what have, it is. <laughs> I, I had one friend who a couple of years ago had said they had played some. 
Yeah. And that from what they played, it was good. It was rough, but it was good. I saw a, a YouTube video, and if I can remember what it is, I'll try to link it. That was uh, Star Citizen Any Day Now. And they they during that video where they were talking about the development process, he actually did have the chance to play some of it, like the early stuff. And what he did say is that there's some cool things in there, but, like, is it worth the time? Is it worth this money? Star Citizen, half a billion dollars. Who'd have thought? In this week's Mechanically Speaking, Wizards of the Coast has released even more 1D&D playtest material. Oh boy. Um, and everyone rejoiced. I mean, rejoiced as much as uh, any time Wizards announces new rules or mechanics for Dungeons & Dragons. Oh, not like when they rejoice when you can get your favorite Lord of the Ring character in a Magic the Gathering card? Oh yeah, that was great stuff, dude. <laughs> that was good stuff. Um, but anyway, we did talk about the initial uh, stuff for the different uh, uh, archetypal characters uh, building that you could do. This time, they've released uh, something on expert classes. And you'd probably sit there and say, what are expert classes? Because <laughs> that's a No, term. I'm letting you say what are expert classes, because you just did. Okay. But what but... are expert classes? <laughs> so the first thing that's probably worth noting is that uh, in the one D&D test material, they're trying to put the different... Uh, classes of character into class groups uh, which will be a, uh, a set that has certain features and themes that are in common uh, and the expert class which they say are polymaths who have the expertise feature and elements of other classes and they would refer to the bard the ranger and the rogue they also say that the artificer would be an expert class. They don't have rules in it for this. Uh, yeah, I mean, they would be an expert in their trade, I guess. So. Yeah, and I'm I'm thinking that they might be considering these more to the uh, like the specialist kind of category, where there's certain things that they're really good at, or that they would provide some kind of a supporting role. the The other three classes are for mages, priests, and warriors. Uh, which I think are kind of straightforward, uh, the mages being about arcane magic, priests being stewards of divine and primal magics, focusing on healing and utility, and warriors being masters of combat. We're not going to go over the whole 37 pages here, because... Uh, yeah, let's, let's not. Let's not. Maybe on a live stream sometime. Maybe on a live stream, or also, maybe we can piece... Maybe we can take some of these pieces later on, but right now we just can't go over all the feats and the rules and spell lists and all that right now. But what I did want to do is go over a few of the things that are in the uh, Bard, the Ranger, and the Rogue. Bards are going to be changing up a little bit if they stick with this stuff. The basics are not really anything different. You've got the 1d8 uh, hit points per bard level. You have uh, dexterity and charisma are like your, your main things that you want to be able to do. Bardic inspiration is still a thing. However, Alex, bardic inspiration works a little differently now. If you remember, bardic inspiration used to be like I think it was a bonus action you could take 
where you would say to like your you know compatriot like for this next minute if you want to do a, a test or a saving throw or something like that skill check you can add this die uh, and yeah. you can you can choose that i think it's actually improved by the rules that okay. they're they're doing here um you can do it in a couple ways a couple things so you can boost a d20 test which means when another creature within 60 feet of you that can see or hear you fails a test, you can use your reaction to give the creature a bardic inspiration die. The creature rolls that die and adds the number rolled to the d20, potentially turning the failure into a success. One the of- issue I have with that yes. becomes you're not supposed to generally know if you pass or fail a test. It, this so in this case... Does. You need to know if you're doing a self check. I, as a DM, am probably not going to tell you if you pass or fail that. Right. This reaction specifically comes after you failed. Right. (laughs) So, yeah. I feel like you'd get arguments from the players using it, be like, oh, well, you should have told me they failed. And it's like, no, because you're not supposed to know whether you pass or fail, like a knowledge check or a stealth check or anything like that because your player doesn't know what they don't know or your character doesn't know what they don't know yeah i always describe it even when people pass stealth checks i'm like you think you're being very sneaky Mm -hmm. yeah (laughs) yeah yeah yeah. and it's like even if you succeed that i'm gonna let you think and if you fail it i'm gonna let you think that you're being very sneaky right because your character's trying to be sneaky so you're thinking you're doing a damn good job (laughs) unless you roll really bad i'm like well you step on a twig really loudly the way i understand it is that the change here is straight up that you just find out and then you get to make your reaction yeah that's i i don't think i like that for that reason like i feel like it should just be as a reaction, you can add this if you think they fail instead. Right, right. You know, you can just add this if you want to. Yeah. Um, but not, like, if they fail their test. Because it's like, oh, yeah, you've been poisoned. Wait one second. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I'm adding this to their thing. You know? And, I mean, we're, we're going to get into the, uh, the fact that for a lot of this, it seems like you might as well just use this as much as physically possible, because why not? Every time somebody yeah. fails everything. Um, the other usage, too, by the way, is uh, healing, which is that immediately after uh, a creature you can see or hear takes damage, you can use your reaction to roll uh, your die and restore a number of hit points to the creature directly. Uh, that so... seems a little OP. <laughs> Doesn't it? Uh, yeah, the bard has some OP stuff going on, actually, in this. How much... Do they get to use the bardic uh, bardic inspiration? Oh, that also changes because it used to be a tied to your charisma modifier. Now it's mm-hmm. actually it's tied to your proficiency bonus. So you get a, an inspiration die uh, num- equal to the number uh, of proficiency bonus, and then you regain them all on a long rest. So to give you a an idea, it would start off at two at first level. It goes up to six by the time you're at twentieth. And I mean, that's not a lot, but it can definitely change the outcome of a lot of things. But, I, yeah, I will say, though, by the time you get to, like, level 17 and you have a 
six times per long rest where you can use a d12 to is just it heal per a long rest or per short rest long rest okay long rest um they are also and i won't go too much into it the uh the level cap ability for these classes really happens at level 18 now and then by the time you get to 20 you get an epic boon which is something we can go into at a, a later time but at any rate uh so there is that uh and then what else was the really interesting thing oh yeah songs of rest is now songs of restoration what used to happen i know this from playing a bard is that when you would do a rest you could basically uh, sit down, hum a little jaunty tune, and you would be able to uh, add another like hit die to people's uh, restoration of their hit points. Yeah, that's not how this works now. What happens instead is that at second, fourth, sixth, eighth, and tenth level, you just get a like some kind of healing spell that uh, is always prepared and does not count against the number of spells that you can have, that you can prepare. So, like, so why even call it a spell? Uh, well, because I think it's still going to use up your slots, but it's not going to count against the number that you can like learn, because it's just instantly prepared. Healing Word, Lesser Restoration, Mass Healing Word, Freedom of Movement, and Greater Restoration. So you basically you auto-get those at those levels. Okay. So there's that. Another thing that seems kind of OP, uh, Magical Secrets. You don't get it as much. It only shows up at 11th and 15th level, but it is way better. <laughs> it is okay. way better. So if you remember Magical Secrets before, basically, periodically, the Bard would get access to two spells from any spell list. They would learn those. They become part of their repertoire. Cool, you can do wizard magic now. This is how Magical Secrets works now. <clears throat> you have collected magical knowledge from a wide spectrum of disciplines. Choose a spell list, so Arcane, Divine, or Primal. Whenever you prepare spells for this class, up to two of the spells you prepare can be from the chosen list and from any school of magic. The prepared spells otherwise follow the rules of your bard spellcasting feature. So, in a nutshell, if I say I want to take the Arcane spell list, I can change out whatever those two spells are from the arcane spell list every time I can prepare spells. So like during a long rest, just change them up whenever. So just daily you can take two spells from an arcane spell list. Basically. Um, basically. Now, does this mean you only get two or does that number increase as you get better uh, arcane well, knowledge? Well, you, you, get, you get the two which you can keep changing out for any other spell you want as time goes on. But then at 15th level, when you get the further magical secrets, you choose another list, and you get two spells from that. So basically... So it's only two, and then you get another spell list with, later that with, you can also get two? With two others, yes. yes. What if I pick the same spell list? You have to do one you didn't choose. Okay, they, but they I specify. would... Well, that's dumb. Just give although, me four arcane spells. Although, although, here's the thing. There is a little bit of uh, overlap. Some spells appear on multiple lists. Yes. So, like, for me, I might think to do, like, the primal spell list. Because there are some arcane-ish kind of spells that are also on the primal list. But 
but I'm, healing spells. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, and so for me though, I'm thinking like, well, that works out pretty great because one day I can just say I want to do the find familiar spell, which then just like stays with me after I've done it, and then yeah. I can change it out, and I, I don't have to take it again until like my familiar dies. Or hell, just get Phantom Steed. You get your Phantom there Steed you for the day, and then if you're not traveling, don't take it the next time. So much more variation in how you can utilize it. Uh, than yeah, spontaneous casters tend to be a lot more versatile anyways, uh, because it's just you know this many spells. Does a bard have to prepare their spells, or do they just spontaneous cast? The bard, as I understand it, would just learn spells... Uh, as they accrue them from their list, which isn't a okay. huge list, but but they don't get to change them. The only time you'd get to change them in in five e is you can switch out one spell when you level up. So this would give you the ability to swap out two of your spells daily that are from any from from that entire spell list. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, it's interesting because it also feels like they're you're going to be able to you know switch that up more than bards used to, because you kind of just had to take what you you had. College of Lore is the subclass that they uh, have for this, which is always a classic. For the most part, this is pretty straightforward. Cutting words, again, you can use it to basically subtract from the roles of creatures. It's a very good ability. Cunning Inspiration at 6th level, where when any creature rolls your bardic inspiration die, they can roll the die twice and use the higher of the two. So it's almost like you're getting um, advantage on your, your bardic die. Tenth level is cool, though. I will give it. They have improved cutting words. Whenever you use your cutting words feature on a creature, you can deal psychic damage to that creature equal to the number rolled on the bardic inspiration die plus your charisma modifier. Just, I reduce your damage also, fuck you in the face, and here's some psychic damage back at you so immediately. So the cutting words uses your bardic inspiration? It does. Cutting okay. words is, is you can use it as a reaction with a bardic inspiration die. You roll your die and you reduce like an ability check or an attack roll. Yeah, no, I just didn't realize you could use it with the bardic inspiration oh, yeah. to make it a reaction. That's all. Oh yeah, yeah. It's it's specifically for your bardic inspiration. Now, when you get to level ten, not only do you reduce that down, but then you also just do some direct psychic damage to the creature when <laughs> feel like you can make a build where you taunt people and then you know cutting words them oh yeah yeah because i gotta say with like what the bardic inspiration die is plus your charisma modifier that's a chunk of damage if you just get that at, at 14th level you have peerless skill in college of lore and what that says is when you make an ability check and fail you can expend one of your bardic inspiration roll it and uh, add the number to the ability check potentially turning it into a success you do that for yourself if it fails, the, the die is not expended. So. so what I'm hearing from all of this right now is that you just make a party of bards for real. Yep. Pretty you just much. make a quartet and you just, everyone's bardic inspiration everything all, all the time. All the time. And you just, I want to try this with a party of bards. I think that a party of bards would actually seem to be a really good thing. Like, And, and oh, by the way, too, because I wanted to make it clear, is that there are a few things like Thunder Wave that they don't get for spells anymore. But, like, there are things like Haste and Hex that you now get. <laughs> yeah, but also, especially if you were to go the route of having a three-bard party yeah. with 
lore for magic secrets, it's suddenly you have access to the other things. You still have access to all these spells. Oh, and yeah. If you're all taking different school uh, schools of magic that you can pull from, yeah, right, you're not losing out anywhere. Right, you'd have to wait till eleventh level to unlock those, but you know you could probably hang on pretty easily. You know you got you got Is some that when stuff. you get your first magical, magical secret. Yeah, that's when you get magical secrets. So you, okay, so you got to run the it only issue. Level. Yeah, the only issue with the bard would be then you don't have a tank. You don't have a tank. Unless maybe you know, when they do like a College of Swords or something, or they come out with that, maybe they maybe. have a front line. But if you can do a if you can make a battle bard. Yep. Um, <laughs> and just have one person being the, the punk front man and the other people being the backups and the, the guitarists and the backup singer. Yeah. <laughs> you I mean, literally, you literally have a band and it's just an entire yeah. band that's made of bards. You just, yeah. yeah, that's terrific. You're on the road. You're traveling musicians, yeah. minstrels. You write your own ballads Perfect. after you defeat the dragon. And I mean, the, the thing is, is that as far as spell casting goes, while the bard doesn't necessarily have the kind of lists that some of the other ones do, um, they do get up to ninth level spells by the end. Uh, and and oh, yeah. a, a fair chunk of spells and cantrips that they have available. And some of the suggested ones that they have for, like, higher level literally are power word kill, mass suggestion, reverse gravity, um, <laughs> animate objects. Pretty good stuff. Polymorph. You get polymorph. Here is my idea for a party of bards. All the spells you take and everything are designed in theory, to put on our performance. Next. Like mm -hmm. a rock show, mind you. Mm -hmm. Fire, you're doing uh, illusion magic. Suggestion to make the crowd go wild. Mm -hmm. um, so you're not specialized in, like, damage dealing. You're specialized in, like, putting on a really fucking awesome show. Yeah. But in doing so, somebody's a pyrotechnics expert. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. So you've got a lot of fire and stuff as well. Or maybe you've got, like, you can summon creatures because, you know, you have them do menial tasks for you sure. or do things presentable. So, you know, you could really do, like, a rock band that puts on their own stage show and, you know, it's like Rammstein but bards. <laughs> Bardstein. <laughs> Bar oh Bardstein. Yes. Bardstein. Bardstein. And the the whole thing is just doing duhas. The whole <laughs> thing is just duhas. That's the bard. Uh, we've we've already talked about this for a little while, so I think we'll come back talk a little bit about the ranger and the rogue in some uh, future episodes, uh, and uh, and get a little bit more into those. Get more of that one D and D content out there. That's right, because they are going to be taking on, like, quizzes uh, toward the end of October of, like, stuff that you liked and stuff that you didn't. So it's probably a good time to just look over some of this stuff and see what's uh, what looks good, what doesn't. My initial read of, like, at least the Ranger uh, makes me think that they've been doing a few improvements because they had had some, some difficulty figuring out what they wanted the Ranger to do in 5e. Yeah, to this point. generally speaking, they track things and kill things. They track things and they kill things. They had to rework Hunter a couple times. 
Yeah. Uh, but, uh, yeah, it, it looks like they're doing some interesting stuff. But anyway, we'll come back with that on a different Mechanically Speaking. Right now, we have to get spooky. So, uh, it is now October, and October, as you might know, is uh, the season of spoopiness. My favorite season. Best season of all. Uh, you get all the spoops and the scares. And uh, it's that time where we start thinking about spooky things like potentially monsters in games. And so uh, we are going to do like a little bit of a mini-series for October where we're going to be talking about some standardized monsters that you run across in both video games and in tabletop games and asking should we basically is this a good monster does it need a rework <laughs> to some degree what do we like about it what do we not keeping in mind these are our general opinions these are not like a hard and fast like oh no we are the authority on this oh sorry <laughs> right we're the authority this is the now forever what you should think of these things. It, it's, this, is, this is now the opinion. There is no other. Don't at me, bro. Uh, so anyway, on the first episode, I thought we would take one of the classics, which is zombies. And no, I'm not just talking about the Cranberry song. Uh, we are... Oh. <laughs> sorry. Zombies have been a part of the cultural zeitgeist for a very, very long time. Uh, I really from like Night of the Living Dead times. <laughs> yeah, they've been presented in quite a few ways, but generally speaking, it's very similar. Yes, and there are a lot of like older cultural references to something akin to it. Probably the more culturally relevant thing that we think of is like the George Romero sort of, of zombies in the uh, mall, just like shambling That's around. Like the Walking Dead type zombie. The Walking Dead type zombie, um, the Dead Rising kind of zombie when you go to the Willamette Mall, that kind of thing, yeah. yeah. Um, not the only kind, mind you. Uh, the shambling zombie is pretty typical. But if anyone has ever played something akin to, uh, like, either Dying Light, or if you've ever seen World War Z or 28 Days Later you'll know that the idea of, like, the undead can also be a really fast and violent kind of zombie. Yeah, I Am Legend uh, wasn't quite zombies, but also was pretty much zombies. Also, for that matter, Last of Us. Uh, now, technically, they weren't zombies. They had just gotten their brains infested with the cordyceps uh, fungus. Basically a zombie. It kind of is. I think it's only that they didn't die and come back to life. Their mind just got, like, taken over by by another entity. But they will run at you. <laughs> they, will, they will charge yeah. at you and while you become a living uh, mushroom. So that's fun. But at any rate, the ones that you've probably encountered, if you're familiar with most games, uh, and I think D&D is actually a good example of this, are going to be the fairly slow, meandering, nigh-unkillable creatures that insist on uh, trying to wreck your day and eat your brains. Yes. Yeah. Brains. Brains. Delicious brains. So the question is... Coming up against a zombie, does it really strike any kind of fear into the hearts of the players? 
singular zombie? Well, I mean, a singular zombie, let's go with that to start. Yeah, you just encounter the one zombie. Not unless it's a really big zombie. It's one of those specialty zombies. Like, if you've got a a zombie, like, dragon, that might be terrifying. I don't like zombie dragons. They're scary. That would Usually be... you don't see zombie dragons either. That's true. Uh, oh, yeah, they had a zombie dragon in uh, Game of Thrones. It, it, uh, the, the White Walkers uh, made one of the dragons into, into a, a zombie. Yeah, I feel like in D&D, if you're going to see like a, a undead dragon, it's usually like a Dracolich. Sure, sure. But uh, now I would like to see a zombie dragon appear. Yeah, zombie dragons would be cool. I don't know how you kill them. Usually, I think that you take the zombie, you have to shoot the brain in order to make the zombie stop moving. I guess well, in like video it. games and stuff, yeah. But in like D&D, you could just mutilate their undead corpse. I, doesn't fire work on zombies? In... Um, I mean, fire works on a lot of things. I yeah. think it... Traditionally, old school D and D zombies had to be killed with like slashing damage. Sure. I don't remember if that holds true in current editions. Skeletons and zombies used to have damage reduction. They may have resistance to damage now or not. I don't remember. I try not to use zombies as a staple point in games. Thing is that you figure that you might encounter them in crypts and other places of that sure. Nature, I think but... if they're thematic, sure, and they make sense, they can be fun, and you can use them for certain things. But like, kind of boring. So the typical zombie that you meet is not going to be all that imposing. Like I'm just looking at D and D right now for zombies. They're considered to be a medium undead, a neutral evil. I guess they don't have any kind of specific malicious intent or agenda. Armor class 8, hit points 22, speed of 20, because obviously they're not going to be very fast. You could, act, you, could, you could just outrun them if you're most characters. They have immunity to poison, languages, understands the languages it knew in life but can't speak it. Well, that's good. So you could try to reason with them, I guess. And of course they have dark vision because everything does. The thing about it when it comes to their regeneration ability is called Undead Fortitude. So if okay. damage if damage reduces the zombie to zero hit points... It must make a constitution saving throw with a DC of 5 plus the damage taken, unless the damage is radiant or from a critical hit. On a success, the zombie drops to one hit point instead. So it's sort of like a get-out-of-death-free card of sorts. Okay. Um, you, uh, they, don't, they no longer have uh, immunities or resistance to any kind of damage? Aside from, like, poison. I mean, like, physical damage. Physical damage, they can still take physical damage. They can okay. still take physical damage, Boring. but yeah, <laughs> but uh, yeah, if they actually make a Constitution saving throw and they would have died, they just come back. Um, unless, of course, it's like radiant damage, because obviously radiant damage is pretty great against the undead. Um, yeah, but, I assume this is a one-time thing. You can't just do it multiple times. Uh, it does not specify that. It's it says it literally just says if damage reduces the zombie to zero hit points. I'd like the one zombie that keeps getting up. The thing about it is, though, is that it would make it harder for them to do the saving throw because if it's five plus the damage taken, uh, then and and they've dropped to one hit point, <laughs> they're they're going to have quite a bit of uh, quite a high Constitution saving throw that they have to get through. But, um, yeah. but okay, so 
in general, yeah, the one zombie that's meandering towards Rick on the highway is not going to be that imposing. He'll figure that out. What really concerns people is when the horde comes for you. Or the herd, or the the shoppers at the gaggle. mall. The gaggle. Uh, yeah, the gaggle of shoppers at the mall have become zombies. And now they are, they are coming for you. How do you deal with that? And is it even worth... Like, at that point, am I just trying to avoid the giant mesh of zombies? And is with as slow as they are, am I really in trouble? I guess that's the thing. Like, it depends on your, like, area you're in. Yeah. Obviously, if you're out, like, in a field, and it's just a field full of zombies, it's like, I guess I'm going somewhere else. Mm-hmm. I think this, it's one of the, again, it's one of those situational things. One zombie doesn't pose an issue, but a vast horde of zombies poses, like, an almost impenetrable issue. Right, right. Which people would then avoid. So I think the trick is to put them in a situation where you can't avoid them, mm -hmm. but you can't also engage them, like, head on. Right, right. Uh, so let's say you have to go through an underground tunnel or something oh, like that. Okay, okay. But, yeah. but you... It's like, this is a tunnel through the mountain, it's the only one, or else it's going to take you, like, going over the freaking mountain in Lord of the Rings instead of taking the eagles. Like, you know? Yeah. You have to go this way because the other way would be, like, a week longer. Mm-hmm. And you, what you're doing is time-sensitive. Yeah. So you go down the tunnel, and it's not jam-packed full of zombies, but there's quite a number of zombies down here milling about. And you could easily, like, kill them as you go, but you would get exhausted, and then you would get overrun by zombies. Yeah. Things you know? that you don't want to happen. But you could find a way to, like, skirt around the pockets of them, mm -hmm. perhaps, and okay. make it a challenging scenario without being overwhelming. Okay. That makes sense. I um, think that would be fun. Yeah, you have like a wall of zombies. That would be fun. You have just a zombie wall. I wish I could summon that. <laughs> this is how you protect your kingdom. That's true. A zombie wall. This is what the necromancers do. I think this is why I always thought necromancers would be fun, because you just raise some zombies and you just have them around. You just <laughs> just keep some zombies around. It's just all keep good. your friends close. Especially the dead ones. I think that the thing that always kept zombies from being too terrifying is the fact that they seem slow to react and slow to move. The things that usually end up getting to be more uh, concerning is when they can run and they can climb. More like whites, I suppose. Uh, that kind of archetypal character. That concerns me. Um, but the typical, like, just literally the Walking Dead type of zombie... I mean, at first, it's going to be disconcerting because, like, the dead are coming to eat you. But after you get away around that and you learn the rules of how you're supposed to take out a zombie, it never seemed like they had all that much trouble in most of these <laughs> scenarios. Like, oh, yeah, well, we we aim for the head or whatever, or, you know, uh, you, you figure out the tactics. They're... they're um, they're attracted to, like, bright lights or sounds. 
so you know how to like maneuver them or or like lead them towards certain areas. Yeah. And uh, they don't they're not a very high functioning or thinking creature. Yeah. I think if you wanted to mix up the formula for zombies, aside from like the you know, area surroundings like with the, tu- the tunnel example, I think a way you could do that and make it interesting was have like one in every ten or one in every twenty zombies retains a measure of its intellect maybe sure so maybe like one in every 10 15 zombies uh is smart not like really smart but like acting as like a group leader so the other zombies kind of congregate to this one that's got this like spark of intelligence sure and so maybe then what happens is you have groups of zombies between like 10 and 30 that congregate around this one like pretty much an alpha Mm -hmm. zombie and then that one acts as like a group leader sure kind of they're not like it's kind of like the alpha of a wolf pack it's not smarter than the other ones but it's maybe bigger and faster so maybe it's got a higher challenge rating in the sense of like uh, DD. Maybe it's a little tougher, a little faster reflexes. Um, mm-hmm. But it also helps to like bolster the other ones. This is kind of uh, I know Warhammer 40k had a rule similar to like Wraith Guard. If sure. they were within range of a Farseer, they would move faster. Okay. Um, because it gave them guidance essentially. Maybe you could do something like that, where if they're within the range of this uh, alpha zombie, perhaps they move five feet faster. They're, like, urged on by, like, the group collective. Mm, yeah. Um, have you ever watched a movie called Army of the Dead? I think so. That was the more recent, like, Night of the Living Dead one that they did where they had to break into the casino vault in, uh, Vegas. Uh, before they dropped a giant bomb on it to destroy the the walled-in city where all the zombies lived. And uh, all the zombies were in this one area. They were just in Vegas, basically. They'd coordinated off. They had put the giant container boxes around the city to quarantine them. And in the absence of people, there were actually, um, like, leadership zombies that were intelligent to a degree and could control and like direct other zombies like they had a hierarchical system and a measure of intelligence that remained also there was a zombie tiger so there's that zombie that can jump 20 feet yes and will eat your face off and enjoy it but i think something like that definitely did raise the stakes because then they're moving with purpose and conviction in a way that they previously hadn't been. Um, It's the same thing of like in Walking Dead they had the Whisperers and those were like just people that wore like the masks of zombies and had learned how to like move them and direct them toward their enemies as like a giant herd that they built. Should we bother using zombies as, like, our creepy crawly? Yeah, like, I'm not particularly fond of zombies, but if you want to use them in an interesting way and not just as a shambling mass of dead flesh, 
that's not exciting you can use them but if you're just gonna use them as oh here's some here's some zombies I think you can find better options yeah there's some changes that you could make to those to make them a little bit more interesting and I mean we'll get into maybe some other undead or creepy crawlies uh, later in the month, but zombies have kind of become indicative of like, yeah, if there's a lot of them, that's a problem that you have to just avoid. And if they're single ones, you just smack them in the head and you're good. But they have, maybe because we've been so inundated with zombie media that uh, they don't seem very threatening, like if we were to come across them ourselves. <laughs> so zombies, uh, I'm I'm going to give... Uh, two spoops out of five spoops. Oh, we're doing a spoopy rating? I guess, yeah, sure, why not? Well, zombies. Uh. Out of five spoops. One spoop for one zombie. Five spoops for 50 or more. For 50 or more? Okay, that's good. <laughs> Quantity over quality is definitely a thing for zombies. Yes. Okay, that sounds that sounds good. And if you have like twenty zombies, that's like maybe three spoops. Two spoops and a cup of sugar. Two spoops of ice cream and zombies. Okay, well, I got cold there for a second. Oof, spoops, too many spoops. But hey, if you want to have even more chilling content in your in your gaming <laughs> uh, podcast, feel free to check us over on our website. Alex, where is that? Our website is over at totalpebbledockdown.com. Yep, that's where you can go. Feel free to check out the Patreon where we have additional content and episodes released in full video form before the initial ones come out. And uh, feel free to also check out some of the other projects that we have going on over there. And uh, when... You are checking all of that out. Maybe you could even uh, check out our podcast on one of the many podcast apps it is on, including Anchor, where you can leave a voice clip. We might even use a question that you give on air. And you could check us out on our social media. Uh, I am at Citanium. I am at EXP Limited, and our show is over at Pebble Knockdown. So, until next time, where we'll go over uh, one of the other classes, we'll go over some more spoopy stuff, we'll do a couple fun, gamey things for you. Uh, we are going to leave you, and we are going to leave Alex in his, in his alcove. We're going to turn the light up. We're not in Motel 6, the light is being turned off. <laughs> we, we don't leave the light on for you. Excellent. Let's see, now, yeah, it washes me out completely. It does, it does. You know what's weird is that when you turn that light off, uh, I thought I saw some kind of a figure in the background. There was like a shadow yeah. on the wall, and I got scared for a second. It's probably Vsauce, Michael here. Yeah, and also mm -hmm. there's, a, there's the three-headed giraffe, and the, I got worried about that. Jane Millers are protecting us. Perfect. So, until next time, thank you for joining us on Total Pebble Knockdown. We will see you next time. Goodbye for now. Bye. Okay. 20 minutes, in and out. <laughs> 20 minutes, in and out, we're good. Alright. I was gonna say that I thought I had seen something where if you still failed after getting the Bardic Inspiration, it did not expend your Bardic Inspiration. What? Yeah. That's the gamble.
That's why I said it felt like it was like you might as well just use it all the freaking time. <laughs> yeah, if you if it doesn't if it fails and you don't expend it, you burned it. You can't use it. It's like if you throw a knife at someone and you miss, and suddenly your knife appears back in your hand. It, it's great. You want it all the time. It's like when why would you not just throw your knife at everyone then? Yeah. If you miss, no harm, no foul. And if you hit, huzzah! Oh, 